You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of John. Here's Nate. One of the greatest ways to prepare for any athletic endeavor is to prepare the mind for whatever it is that you're about to enter into. There's the physical training to be sure, and you have to go through all of the proper, you know, physical preparation. But so much of athletics is based on the realm of the mind. And is the mind ready? Are you mentally prepared to enter into, you know, the endeavor that is in front of you, whether it's a contest against someone else or against yourself, are you mentally and emotionally prepared for the difficulty that is coming? And in John chapter 15, starting really in verse 18, Jesus shifts his conversation with the disciples to mental preparation for what they were going to have to endure as his disciples in this world after he ascended to the right hand of the Father. They would experience in many different ways and in many different flavors persecution in this world. And not just persecution, but in general hatred from this thing called the world. Not that every person in the world would hate them, but that there would be this world system and Jesus in John 14, 15, 16, and 17 refers often to this group or this system entitled the world. And here he's telling them that the world is going to hate you. And he prepares the mind of his men so that they would be able to walk through that hatred and walk through that persecution effectively. And so in this section that we're going to study today, we're going to see Jesus talking to his disciples about themselves, about the world, about the spirit, and about what the persecution of the world would look like. And so one of the first things that they needed to know was about themselves. And so he tells them in verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And so Jesus talks to them first, about themselves. And and in verse 18, he says, listen, if it hates you, know this particular thing. Know that it hated me before it hated you. It was very important for the disciples to know that the origination of this hatred was not originally towards them, but it was originally towards Christ. And it's important for us, anytime we might experience the animosity of the world and its system and devices, it's important for us to understand that it's not personal. The hatred is primarily and firstly against and towards Christ. And we are merely an offshoot of him. And so 
we are second. And that's what Jesus says. You need to know that it hated me before it hated you. And this would somehow be a comfort to the disciples as they went through their versions of persecution, as they were driven out of Jerusalem, as they were arrested and thrown into prison, as they watched believers who believed on Christ as a result of their preaching suffer intensely, physically, in very real ways as a result of persecution, they needed to remember, this is what they did to our Lord first. And I think this is an important perspective for us in our modern times, because I think quite often the myth that we believe is that if we are nice enough and kind enough and generous enough, if we are Christ-like enough, then the world will have no choice but to fall head over heels in love with us. And what Jesus is telling them is, listen, you need to know that it's hated me before it hated you. One writer put it this way. He said, the truth is, the more Christ-like we are, the more we shall be antagonized and shunned. And to be sure, there will be plenty, by the grace of God, who will be drawn and attracted by the life of Christ flowing through our lives. There will be plenty of people who will receive the gospel message. And our goal isn't to be offensive. We don't need to invite this kind of hatred in any kind of way. That's not what Christ did. That's not how Christ lived. But it is a myth to think that we will somehow be popular in this life and in this world. They hated our Lord before they hated us. But another thing that Jesus mentions to them in verse 19, he says, listen, part of the reason that they hate you is because you are not of the world. And it's important for a believer, it was important for these disciples to realize that their citizenship had shifted. They used to be citizens of the world, citizens of the earth. But after their conversion, they would no longer be citizens of the world. They would live in the world, yet they would not be of it. Their citizenship would be in heaven. This means that the spirit, the aims, the principles of the world no longer belong to God's children. We have transferred our citizenship to another place. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 4 verse 1 through 5. He said, listen, you know, Christ suffered in the flesh. And so arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past, he says in verse 3, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Then he says something very profound. In verse 4 of 1 Peter 4, with respect to this, he writes, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So much of the persecution that we will experience in this life, so much of the hatred, probably a better word to use, that we will experience in this life is surprise hatred. In other words, because there is this surprise, notice what he said in verse 4, with respect to this, the fact that you do not want to live as they do any longer, 
They are surprised, Peter says, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. In other words, that surprise from the world leads to a persecution, a despising, a hatred of the believer. And so just because our citizenship is in a new place, that hatred will come. And Jesus, in verse 20, reminded his disciples when he said, Listen, you need to know, a servant is not greater than his master. And of course, if our master experienced this kind of hatred, and if he was not above it, then we are not above it as well. And so Jesus teaches his disciples about themselves. Now he goes on in verse 21, back in John chapter 15, and he begins to describe the world. And what they needed to know about the world. He told them about themselves first, but, but know this about the world. He says, verse 21, But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. One of the first things Jesus says about the world is that their hatred for the disciples would stem from a lack of knowledge about the Father. He says, they do not know him who sent me. Who is it that sent Jesus? Well, of course, that's the Father. He's saying they don't understand. They don't know God. They haven't experienced him, and they misunderstand him. You know, so many times the world has difficulty understanding who God is. I think many people in our modern era would profess, at least, to believe that God is love. And John said as much in his first epistle, that God is love. The thing about that is that so often the world does not understand what it means that the Father is loving. They think that the Father being loving means that he is permissive, that he's like the great grandfather in the sky who is willing to, for anything and everything to be permitted from his heavenly throne. And they don't understand that the love of the Father for us and for the world required that he would crush his own son in order for his love to flow through his son towards those who have believed in his son. And so often there's a misunderstanding about the love of God and the patience of God. The long-suffering, the kindness, the forbearance of God, believing that this is God giving his tacit approval to the way that we live our lives. And his kindness and forbearance and patience, as Paul said in Romans 2 verse 4, are designed to lead us to repentance. Not to give us any sense of permission for living in rebellion against God. And so there's, in general, in the world, Jesus says, a lack of knowledge about the Father. They do not know him who sent me. And then Jesus says something incredibly fascinating about the world. To his disciples, he goes on in verse 22 and says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me 
and my father. One of the things that Jesus is saying here is he's saying, listen, they would not have been guilty of sin had I not come and spoken to them. Now, this, of course, is fascinating because the question is, what is Jesus saying? Now, we have a difficult time believing that what Jesus is saying is that if he had not come and spoken to them, they would have somehow been completely innocent and guiltless. Romans chapter 1 through 3 is where Paul builds an excellent case for the guilt of every single person on the face of the earth. He talks first in Romans 1 about the revelation that we have through creation. He then talks about the revelation that we have through conscience. And then he talks about the revelation that we have through religion. And that through what we know from creation, what we know through conscience, and what people believe through religion, every single person in every single camp is guilty because what they know, they so often violate. That's why Paul concludes those chapters, or that argument at least, in Romans 3 verse 23 by saying all have fallen short of the glory of God. So everyone is guilty no matter what. But it appears that Jesus is saying that there was a, a real increase in guilt as a result of his coming and speaking and ministering. And this of course lines up with what Jesus had said in other places in the other gospels. In Matthew chapter 11 Jesus cried out against the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, cities that he had done ministry in. They were conscious of the ministry of Christ. They had seen his miracles and heard his words. And he told them in Matthew chapter 11 that in the day of judgment, the cities of Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, these are Old Testament cities that had incredible guilt and experienced the judgment of God in that era. They were destroyed by God himself. Jesus said that in the day of judgment, Tyre and Sidon and Sodom would have an easier time in the day of judgment than the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Why? Because they had so much more evil in them, more than Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom? Not in the way that we would think of it, but because, as Jesus said, he had done many mighty works in their cities. They had great revelation of Christ, and that great revelation made them greatly accountable to the Lord. Their guilt only increased because of their exposure to Christ. He said a similar thing in Luke chapter 11, when he said that the queen of the south, this is the queen of Sheba, would rise up against the men of this generation and condemn them because she came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and something greater than Solomon is here. And then he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And so it appears here that what Jesus is saying is part of the hatred of the world. This is what the disciples needed to know. Part of the hatred of the world that they would experience was going to be a direct result of guilt inside of their hearts. He says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. They would not be guilty of sin. As they preached the gospel, guilt would rush into the hearts of the hearers. And that guilt 
for some people would turn into repentance and confession and conversion. But for some people, that guilt would turn into anger and malice and hatred. And so Jesus wants to explain to his disciples where this is coming from as they experience that hatred in their ministry and in their lives. And in verse 25, Jesus goes on to explain further this hatred from the world when he says, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. One thing that's so frustrating, I think, for anyone who experiences the hatred of the world or reads of the hatred of the world or feels that pressure as a believer, that pressure as a believer to conform to the lifestyle of the world, to approve the lifestyles of the world, to, you know, sign off on the way that the world wants to conduct its affairs and business. One of the pressures or one of the questions that arises is, where is this coming from and why such animosity towards me? And, you know, I think the thoughtful Christian will ask that question without allowing anger and animosity to well up within their own heart. And Jesus here says in verse 25, they hated me without a cause. He's quoting from Psalm 35, Psalm 69, Psalm 109, these are all Psalms of David who certainly knew what it was like to be hated without a cause. He was hated for his position. He was hated for his anointing. But really there was no good cause for hating David. He was a wonderful man who loved the Lord. And I think what Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for and also by extension to prepare us for is that the hatred of the world it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. It's not always going to be crystal clear why the world feels the way that it does about us. They hated the Lord without cause. And so preach the gospel, be invitational, and don't expect it all to always make sense. Why that animosity or that anger is there. Sometimes after years of prying, you'll discover some kind of hurt, some kind of history in a person's life that causes them to hate the message of the gospel. And so just continue to preach, continue to speak. He says, they hated me without a cause. Now in the midst of all of this, there is this wonderful bright spot. I mean, the disciples, I'm sure at this point are thinking, hold on a second. This isn't necessarily what we signed up for. And so Jesus wants to encourage them and teach them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he's told them about themselves. He's told them about the world. But now he speaks to them about the Spirit of God. And what the Spirit of God can do or will do to help them deal with the hatred and the persecution of the world. He says, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you, verse 26, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father... He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Just a couple of verses where Jesus deals with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. One of the first things that we need to see here concerning persecution and the hatred of the world and that kind of hostile environment. And of course, this hostile environment will look different in different cultures and at different times. The hostility will ebb and flow and rise and fall 
It'll always be there, at least in a subterranean kind of way. And sometimes it will be very visible and very obvious. But one thing Jesus says here is he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, whom I'll send you from the Father. He says in verse 26, he says, He will bear witness about me. In other words, one thing that the disciples had going for them is that the Holy Spirit was going to actually be involved in the process of proclaiming to the world the truth of Christ. Now, of course, they began to see this in Acts chapter 2, 10 days after Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out. They began to speak with other tongues. It was a miraculous moment. Peter preached the gospel. 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ at that moment. And they saw the Holy Spirit himself bear witness about Jesus. Years later, Peter would receive a call to go up to Caesarea to preach at the house of a man named Cornelius, a Gentile man. No one had evangelized him or witnessed to him. It was God himself speaking to him through an angel saying, go down to Joppa, send for Peter, who's staying at the house of a man named Simon the Tanner, and call him up to Caesarea and he will tell you what I want you to know. And so the church would see just God himself by his spirit just getting the job done, preparing people, readying people. We'll see in our next text here in John, the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin. And so they would watch the Holy Spirit bearing witness himself about Jesus. But they would also need to understand that the Holy Spirit wanted to bear witness through them. And we need to understand that he longs to bear witness through us. He says in verse 27, And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Special to the apostles. You've been with me from the beginning. And so, of course, even here in our hands, or, or as we're studying this, we are reading the word of the apostles, the witness of the apostles as we read the gospel of John. But we need to understand that the Holy Spirit, yes, will bear witness about Jesus, but he will bear witness at times through us. Paul wrote in Romans 10, verse 15, quoting from Isaiah 52, verse 7, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so, as he said also in Ephesians 6, verse 15, Put on as shoes for your feet the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Just get yourself prepared each and every day for the preaching of the gospel. You never know when the Lord will give you an opportunity to witness in someone's life, to share your faith and to proclaim the truth. The Holy Spirit wants to join up with you. Don't be afraid of the world. Understand that the Holy Spirit wants to tag team with you in the ministry of proclamation. And this would be a great comfort to the disciples. And of course, as you read the book of Acts, you see that they would live this out. Now in chapter 16, the first four verses, closing out our study today, Jesus begins to teach his disciples about what the persecution would actually look like. He taught them about themselves and about the world and about the spirit. But he tells them this about persecution. He says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. I told you all this stuff about persecution to keep you from falling away. Really, that's sort of the, 
subtitle of this entire paragraph that we're studying today. Jesus is saying these words in order to strengthen them so that they would not fall away. In other words, the words of Jesus would strengthen and bolster these men. And what that tells us is that embedded into this hatred and persecution is a discouragement that is so incredibly real. It leads to despair. It leads to hopelessness. And that hopelessness and despair can cause a believer to fall away or can cause us to at least be tempted to fall away. Tempted to cash in and say, you know what, forget it. I know that the word of God speaks out against a homosexual lifestyle, but, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, and they were so antagonistic against that Christian belief, and the more I think about it, and the more I see what's going on in the world, gosh, I just don't want anyone to think that I feel that way, and the temptation enters in to begin to bend and rewrite the word of God. And that temptation is very real and very thick. And so Jesus is trying to say, hey, guys, here's the mindset I want you to have. When they kick you out of synagogues, when they threaten you with death, when you watch your fellow believers die, when you're mocked and ridiculed for the things that you believe, understand, have this mindset. This is coming and I'm saying these things to you to keep you from falling away. Then he says in verse 2, he talks about the persecution a little bit, where he says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Repeated once again. They've done this because they did not know the Father Notice the religious nature of this persecution. He says, they'll kick you out of the synagogue. They'll think they're offering God service. John writes it this way in 1 John 2 verse 19. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. There will be those even inside of religion and even inside of the visible church who will persecute throughout history, sometimes even physically, true and real believers. One example of this is, of course, found in the Reformation. There were moments where believers were burned at the stake. Well, a message was delivered in a Roman Catholic church and setting. I mean, just the religious nature of the persecution. But Jesus said in verse 4, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Listen, their hour is coming. And an hour speaks of the reality that it's only a season. Jesus was preparing his disciples by letting them know, Listen, it's an hour. And I've spoken to you to prepare you, to bolster you, to enable you to handle the hatred of the world. And it's not going to last forever. And for you, dear believer, dear saint, wherever you are, however you might be joining us, be encouraged, understand, prepare your mind, and realize that they hated Christ before they hated you. 
It's only an hour. It's only a season. And one day you will meet the Lord face to face and forever enter into joy with Him. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.